0: back to another episode of Crowdworkcast. My name is Andrew Barnett. Thank you very much for joining me. I hope this episode finds you well. Uh, Before I dive into this week's episode though, just another quick plug. I I gave a plug on last week's episode to a project I've been involved in with uh, Camp Quality. We're doing Christmas crack ups. Uh, Trying to make Christmas crackers or Christmas bonbons, whatever you call them, uh, actually funny. So uh, the Possible campaign, uh, as I record this, is almost at 90,000 of the 100,000 we need to make these things a reality. So uh, if you are looking for uh, some good quality Christmas crackers uh, that contain jokes that are actually funny, written by some of Australia's best comedians, uh, including Rove McManus, Luke Heggie, Ronnie Chang... uh, who else? Uh, we've got uh, Tom Cashman's got a couple of jokes in there. And, of course, I can't forget my old friend Bruce Griffiths, who is hilarious. Um, so please, uh, if you'd like to look at those, uh, try and get some yourself some Christmas crackers, please go to campquality.org.au. Uh, all right, enough of the plugs. This week's episode... Uh, Very happy to have this guy on the show. Uh, His name is Reese Nicholson. Uh, Reese is a a Sydney based comedian who grew up in Newcastle. Apart from being a very, very, very funny man on stage, uh, he's a very, very lovely man off stage. Uh, Reese is one of those guys I love working with Reese because um, you always get a good conversation backstage. And uh, the more you do comedy, the more time you spend in comedy clubs, uh, the more important that becomes. Uh, It's good. When you've got good people, you can hang out with backstage and Reese is certainly that. Uh, We had a great chat. This chat went a bit longer than most of uh, my regular chats, um, mostly because we we got talking and I looked up and all of a sudden it was an hour and uh, I hadn't asked him a few other things I really, really wanted to ask him. So uh, I'll get him back anyway because we didn't cover everything. But uh, this, yeah, this one uh, runs for a little bit longer than most other episodes. So hopefully, that's reflective of uh, of how much you'll enjoy it, because uh, it certainly is reflective of how much I enjoyed having the conversation. Anyway, enough talking from me. Here it is, episode fourteen with Reese Nicholson. new episode. G'day buddy, what's your name?
1: My name is Rhys Nicholson.
0: Rhys Nicholson. What do you do, Rhys?
1: I am a, oh, that is a, who are you, my dad? Um, <laughs> I am a, a comedian, I guess. I still feel very uncomfortable saying that, but I have no other job, so I guess it's it's what I've painted, the corner people, I've painted myself into. Of all people who feel uncomfortable
0: saying that, like, I, I wouldn't... Like I, I, I don't. Not that I don't believe that you feel uncomfortable saying mm. it. More that I don't think you should feel uncomfortable saying it because you've, you've been a stand-up comedian in terms of that has been your sole job for quite a few years now.
1: Yeah, I like to. Yeah, two or three. Like that. Yeah, I worked at a theater for a long time, and that was kind of my. But the more, the more I, like that, I was able to just. Cut away Like I still have a, An employment number At that theatre Oh really <laughs> If it all goes to shit <laughs> I'm straight <laughs> back in there um, Yeah But it still It just feels uncomfortable I still I still write um, On the airport form I still write um, Writer Because for writer. some reason it sounds. Even though I'm not I couldn't I, If I have to write an article Or something It takes me about two weeks um, But For some reason Writer And I tell Uber drivers I work in retail Really um, Because it's less questions you know, I mean, like if I say I'm a comedian, they're going to have a, and then I feel like now I've got to tell them about being a comedian, what it's like. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if I say retail, I even I have a whole backstory. I work at a place called, what was it? I think it was called Crazy Horse. Um, and I just, <laughs> I live, depending on Crazy how drunk Horse? I am, it's in Surrey Hills. Yeah. <laughs> and depending, it on how, like it. depending on how, I think there might actually be a place called Crazy Horse, but I think it was in like Potts Point or something. But I think I, might, I, I maybe I made it up or maybe not. But, um, I there I'd, was a strip club in Adelaide called Crazy Horse. I'd imagine it? that. Yeah. Maybe you've misheard horse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I'd i lie a lot because I don't want to have to answer questions because I think I'm a bit of a fraud. Oh, wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Because you're um to working with you at the comedy store. Whenever you're booked a headline, mm. um, your instructions to me as the MC are always, please do not call me the headliner.
1: Well, because it... it it gives like a um, indication of there's a big difference between headliner and the last thing. <laughs> Do you <laughs> know what I mean? Like the, I'm well, happy to be the last thing. Cause it's just like, your no self how esteem
0: is through the roof.
1: Oh yeah. I'm, I love myself. Well, in some <laughs> ways, in some ways I am hugely arrogant. <laughs> and then in other ways, um, you know, I'll bitch about someone's back to no end. Um, but that's probably more low self esteem things. Um, but headliner gives this like intent. And you know, I'm 26 no one that goes to the comedy store like a headliner means like i'm gonna tell you things and you're gonna learn and i'm no one wants to people are happy to accept a 26 year old who is on last and might have a an okay skill set as a comedian that a headliner is more like yeah i know better than you yeah (laughs) yeah i
0: i i suppose that's one way of looking at it i do think though like I when I see you on stage, I don't think of you as a necessarily oh, this is a twenty six year old guy who's, you know, basically mm. laying down. You've got a very um you've got a very unique perspective. Yeah. <laughs> like no, you do, and it's an approach and I think that's that's where like people will um will people I find balk at young people telling them how life is if they see themselves in that young person. Yeah. Whereas your your perspective is, is and the, the way you approach um, what you talk about on stage, is probably different enough to the way most people are thinking.
1: Yeah. I always wonder about that, because people say that, and I, and not in like a, I don't think of it, but I know that, yeah, like part of my whole act is like being, you know, I wear makeup and I have fake glasses on and I have, but, but I always want like. Whoa, those are fake. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. People get so offended when they. Because I used to wear them with lenses, and I do need glasses, just not enough to s- spend all the money that I would need to spend, like if I needed to read a teleprompter or something. But mm. uh, the way things are going, I do not need to do that. Um, but uh, people get so offended. The last time I, someone, an audience member, realized I had fake glasses on, they were like, uh, I said, well, that's just like wheeling around in a wheelchair. It's like, it is absolutely not like that no. at all. <laughs> no one has yeah. fashion wheelchairs. I do too. I've done both. Um, I am
0: ha- ha- yeah, not proud of well, not proud of it, but I yeah, one time it's a long story. I'm gonna <laughs> eventually tell it in stand up one time. Uh, on the I had a weekend uh, when my brother was living in Albury on the uh, at university, and me and my cousin went and visited him, and um, yeah, we're just walking back Friday night, walking back from the supermarket, gone over and got uh, stuff for dinner, i.e. barbecue chook, mm-hmm. and uh, walking past the chemist, well. and uh, they had a wheelchair in the window wheelchair, uh, for hire $10 a day. Oh, let's make a weekend of it. I would do that. Yeah. And so, yeah, we took it out drinking. Where (laughs) it became, where it became a real problem was we never intended to pretend we were permanently in the wheelchair. We were just going to be three guys out on the cans who happened to have a wheelchair with them.
1: If they're nothing better.
0: Yeah, which would have been fine, except as we rolled up to the first pub, I say as I rolled up to the first <laughs> pub, um, the bouncer sees me coming, calls his mate over, and two of the biggest human beings... Now, oh. I'm not a little dude anyway. Oh. So two of the biggest human beings I've ever seen have lifted me up the three or four steps into the pub. And, uh, yeah, I was stuck in the wheelchair for that, uh, that <laughs> night. Well, that pub, at least. It was... Uh,
1: Gives you perspective, though. You see oh, yeah. the other side yeah.
0: in the world... We had to leave by the time I needed to go <laughs> to the bathroom because there was no way I was trying to manage that <laughs> in a wheelchair.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, I've derailed the conversation. No, it's fine. That's very fine. Like I, because I was obsessed with when I was a kid. Like I've always been obsessed with kind of um, not grotesque isn't the right word, but things like um, uh, like walking frames and uh, like as. Props, and this sounds terrible. <laughs> this is a really horrible thing for an able-bodied person to say. But do you know what I mean, like cost, like using them as costumes yes. and props and stuff. and I was in, uh, yeah, the same thing. Like my high school had a wheelchair that they used for plays and stuff. And I used to love like being an eccentric billionaire I, with a blanket over me, yeah. in, the, in the wheelchair. Like there's something about because it, it automatically sets up this whole backstory for someone. And I'm sorry if I'm offending anyone right now who is um, differently abled.
0: Yeah, look like. I think too, like, my, and it's uh, it's hard for me to, to speak on behalf of people who have to like. It, it's one thing you wouldn't want to have to live your life in a wheelchair, no. but I think even people who are in wheelchairs can can see that there's there's a novelty appeal of it. Like it's a well, it's <laughs> the same every time. You remember when you were at school? Any time any kid hurt their ankle or something, that had crutches. That was it. Everyone everyone to had, use had the a crutches. gun on the crutches.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's so, like a and it, there's something about it. um because I'm, a, I'm, I'm obsessed with uh, Amy Sedaris. Yep. She's like, a, yeah, like that. And she's kind of the same. Like, yeah, wigs. I was always obsessed with like wigs, wheelchairs, crutches, neck braces, anything that kind of automatically gave a backstory yeah. <laughs> to someone. It's just like <laughs> neck braces are the funniest thing in the entire world. Yes. Like a, like a, is that what they would call? Like that kind of spongy. Yep. Because no one looks dignified. With them on No Like it's, it's an automatic <laughs> oh, Jesus
0: the, the Pope or the President No matter yeah. who it's, Having to turn your whole body To look who's oh. next to you Like there, there is something funny about people Without peripheral vision like And the that.
1: only other person That has to do that is Batman Yes that's, that, Which is
0: As, as a superhero you got to think That's a fairly large vulnerability too For Batman
1: That's what I always thought Like the He I never quite got Batman. I don't know. I know people have very strong views about him. And I, d- I don't know why I'm going to this conversation, but come with me. Yeah. Um. He, I, he never, he just to me seemed like privilege. <laughs> As someone who grew up poor, he Blame. was like, you know, he had to like, he didn't really have to work for his super, but like he doesn't even really make them. No. Alfred makes them. Alfred orders them. Uh, you know, he's obviously a genius and stuff and a horrible thing happened in his life as well. But like, you know, he, I, I just, yeah, I see him as like a figurehead for white privilege. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: I've never thought of him in those terms, but, um, it's, it's interesting. Cause I was, re- I've just recently, um, rewatched, um, Rewatched the Batman Begins, yeah, with because um, my my oldest boy is, is started to get into it, and he had a I think he was a day off sick or whatever. So that mm. afternoon, we we sat down, we put it on, and um, when he the Bat Roller, that car, right, the first car in that movie, yeah. right, the Tumbler or something, yeah, the called, Tumbler, yeah. right. It's it's basically he's painted black, a prototype of a design. That was Wayne Enterprises were trying to sell to defense contractors. Yeah, surely when that hits the street, there's got to be there was more than one person working on that project. Yeah,
1: you know what I mean. Like what? it wasn't just um, Morgan Freeman down there building a, a giant car, exactly. And I've got to imagine if they're building a prototype, they're trying to sell it.
0: So there's guys who from Department of Defense. Yeah. Who are going, oh, that's that Wayne Enterprises. Like, surely yeah. they,
1: they, they, you've Actually got to... that guy's build is almost exactly the same as that eccentric billionaire. And yeah. it's, it's always coming from that side of town where the only thing that's on that side of town is Wayne Manor. Like it's just all these And by the end of it, yeah, there's so many people actually Yeah. It's I you know, I like those movies. I just find I find it very um very convenient. Whereas most mm. other superiors have had their superpowers thrust upon them, and they automatically kind of go, "Oh, I have a sense of justice. I'm going to do something about it now." He's just kind of like, "I'm sad. I don't. I'm going to scare people." Yeah, it's a. Have
0: you seen Suicide Squad? No. See, he plays into that too. He's one of the. um so Suicide Squad, without oh, spoilers, um, basically Ooh. they round up, and it's it's the set all the, of the nut jobs, right? Yeah, like, they're rounding up all the the bad, the the worst of the worst villains, and they're going to try and use them in case there's another Superman-type alien who's not um not as noble as Superman. Yeah, you know you want someone. Bizarro
1: Superman perhaps. Yeah.
0: So you want you want your um you want a, a gang of villains and mm. you, who you can use that are, they're able to combat that. The problem being is all the they all get caught, and they all get caught pretty much by Batman. Yeah, you've already got Batman who's defeated at this point. Superman. Yeah. What? What? What I, do you? I don't yeah. get it.
1: Yeah. Why don't just just and there's always this mistrust of Batman as well. It's like oh, and all superheroes. I mean, I guess if you, I guess you would mistrust everyone. And that's kind of what the whole. I never even finished Batman vs Superman. <laughs> like, oh, really? I was watching it on a plane. And I was kind of like, I think I probably got drunk. and. Wow, now that's a review. I yeah, finish I it couldn't finish this on a plane. When watching it like, on a plane. You know, usually movies, I I watch shitty movies and bawl my eyes out on a plane for some reason. Oh, I mean, really? I don't know. I'm not a crier at all. And they've done studies into it. Like, people just cry on planes. Just something happens where you just get really... Especially if you're upgraded, you just cry a happiness. Yeah. Um. But I always and it, it probably has to do with white wine intake as well. Um. But I just I end up getting like very, I watch like a dumb movie like a really stupid emotion like I watched um Saving Mr. Banks or something. Like oh. And it's just emotionally manipulative, and it's just Tom Hanks chain smoking the whole time, and the music goes, and then Emma Thompson cries, and then you start crying, and there's But they reckon it's something um on planes, something to do with. Uh, because you're either going somewhere or leaving somewhere. So you're already kind of emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just one little thing pushes you over the edge and maybe the air pressure just forces the water out of your eyes.
0: But probably too. You're you're also in a state where you're potentially a little nervous. Yeah. And you've got no control over realistically, you've got no control over anything. Anything. Which is yeah. kind of
1: why I'm not a nervous are you a nervous flyer at all? No. Nah. <clears throat> I'm not at all. Like uh it could also be why wine intake, but I, I, it's never even interested me the idea because it's, yeah, because it's completely, I like, I, I don't mind being out of control in those situations. Like yeah. um, every other part of my life, I'm very much in control, but it's, I don't, I don't mind because it's, it, look, if a plane crashes, I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen. There's no, very few times do people survive. So whereas I found out I did a cruise ship not long ago and we were in really rough seas, and I found out I'm mortally terrified of open water. Oh, really? I had no idea that I was. But if you think about it, like drowning, mm. lot, like ship goes down. And it was really, it was those big Sydney storms. And there was like 12-meter swell. Oh, God. And, this, and they're big ships, but they're still like you could hear. And you know, there's just those ship noises like that. Yeah. And so I'm laying in bed, like, and it's swaying. And we were trying to, like, walk down the corridors and bashing on the side of the walls and stuff. Like, it was terrifying. And I was just laying awake just thinking... I'm going an to wake up and I started having like stress dreams about waking up in my, you know, there was water in the room or like the, I just could, I just kept waking up. Terrifying. And they had these big silver doors in cruise ships that if water starts to come in, um, the big silver doors like just start shutting and they can never be open again. So <laughs> you get trapped behind there. Oh, wow. Yeah
0: yeah i get, I'd probably be more nervous in that situation my what would save my nerves in that situation would be i would be um violently ill
1: mm and um, you got so,
0: something else it's good to have something else to focus on yeah and when i i don't know about you but when i get uh violently ill um like that like I get that throat i um death would be sweet relief yeah i'd be like yeah let's just, yeah let's
1: let's end this let's get this done yeah i've been uh, I remember I had food poisoning one. One I've had food poisoning twice in my life, um, and just that I remember like being being on the toilet and vomiting at the same oh. time, and just being like the this is the there is no god like this is proof to me that there is no god because no one would put anyone through this. That's <laughs> I um for eating I, a bad hamburger from a Seven Eleven.
0: That's I that that's where I'm like I with euthanasia. That's one of my problems <laughs> with it. It's like, because there was, I've had hangovers and I've had gastro. Yeah. Where if six hours into my, you know, 24 hour bug, you said to me, we can end this. I'd be like, yes. Take me out. Because when when you are that ill too, I don't know about you, but I can, I can't imagine ever feeling normal again. Nah. Like I just have no. It's like
1: greening out. Or like, um, like I remember, I don't really do drugs very much. But, uh, when I was younger and like taking a pill and it being kind of a dodgy pill and just being kind of like, Oh, I want this to stop. <laughs> and <laughs> and it, it would have only been 10 minutes. And you're trapped. Yeah. And you're like, this is, this is, and that's how I feel. Cause I've started to get the hangovers now as well. Like the, the hangover, but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you the, are 26. Yeah. But like the, I, I used to be able to just drink and drink and, and also I drink gin. So it's not a very hangover kind of mm. drink, but, um, and my boyfriend is two years older than me and which isn't very long, but. In this time of our lives, it kind of is in that uh, he's like the canary down the mine for me of, you know, when he was, when I was 24 and he was 26, he started to get hangovers and I was like, Oh my God, that's never going to happen to me. I'll never die. And then in the last kind of six months, if I have one glass of wine too many, it's like two days Uh, (laughs) or like at least a day of just like, no, don't look at me. They,
0: they, for me, they, they keep getting worse too. Like I'm 35 now, so I'm at that age now where I don't, it's not, I don't, I don't get the, the violently ill hangovers as much mm. It's probably to do with the fact that I don't, I probably don't, you know, have those crazy yeah. sessions, uh, that I used to, but I, it's just that like feeling fuzzy headed for a day yeah. and a half, like just tired. And it's just, just And like, just, oh, just white noise, just like everything is kind of loud and. Oh, wait till you get the ones where you just start waking up middle of the night great just like, good like, news go to bed drunk you think oh this is gonna be great you're gonna <laughs> sleep it off and just like two in the morning just bam you're awake <laughs> guess what you need water because your mouth's
1: dry and then you're gonna lie here and think about life's decisions <laughs> <laughs> i'm just not i'm not i'm not built for i, I used to you know when you're younger and you want to be built for partying because yeah. it's like what and i'm like yeah i'd Try I like, and I've never been comfortable ever, ever, ever in this situa- in those situations. But I'd always just like, yeah, go to a gay because I moved to Sydney when I was like eighteen and wanted to be like part of the Sydney gay kind of. And it's just, it's terrible out there. If you, if you, if you want to, if you don't wear like a V neck shirt and you know spike your hair or whatever, like it's, it's fucking awful. It's just, I just was at the back of a room drinking gin and tonics in a three piece suit <laughs> while there's like doof doof music going. Yeah, I, I. Like, I, I was never a club
0: guy. I can't Oof. anywhere where because I'm. My thing is I'm not a good enough dancer mm-hmm. to, or and just strikingly handsome enough with the confidence <laughs> to go up and just attract a girl on the dance yeah. floor. Yeah. And I my my only real weapon in that in that picking up scenario was being able to talk. Me
1: too. Yeah. And saying horrible things about see, I'm the arm. Yeah, I'd be like just point out everything that was wrong with the room, like <laughs> yeah. just. Say horrible things about people just out of earshot. And for some reason, that is charming to people. <laughs> but yeah, it's the same thing. Like, it's, you want almost like a, like a, like, a, oh, this sounds so wanky, but like, just sit in like a nice wine bar and, yes. you know, and just let me, I can charm you that way, but I can't charm you with my ironic dancing and lip syncing to things.
0: Yeah. Because I've got one ironic move that will make you smile.
1: But after yeah. that, I'm like, oh, where do I go from here? And now I'm stuck. I don't like dancing because if I, I've never liked dancing because if I, you know, you see somebody, they've lost themselves in a song and it looks great. Yeah. If I lose myself in a song, I look like I have some sort of like issue going oh, on yeah. in my
0: life. I've always got, there's always, I've, I've always got that one little bit that's very self conscious, mm-hmm. that's very aware. I can be drunk ass, but I'm just very aware. Dancing like everyone's watching. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 um, that saying's ridiculous, by the way. Yeah. I used to talk about that on stage. It's like dance like no one's watching. That's it. Unless people are watching, in that case, don't dance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I live my entire life as if everyone's watching. <laughs> yeah, I think, like, everything I do. To be honest, that's probably a good way to do it. Because yeah. it, it does hold you accountable to some. Like, you you caught the train out here. Like, the amount of times I've been on that train and there's people just living life like no one's yeah. watching. And you know, it's like they're, they're sprawled across a crowded train, they're sprawled across three seats with their feet up on the window sleeping.
1: It's like, I just feel like someone's looking at yeah, you at all times. Listen,
0: there's other people, <laughs> <laughs> they exist. People are affected by things. Yeah. I don't care what Nike says, it's not your world. <laughs> We're all just living don't in it. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Exactly. Don't do it. Oh, it's, it's yeah, no, I, I think that's self consciousness in, in a measured dose, I think is pretty healthy. Oh, it's healthy. healthy. Also, see, this is where the... um, Like, I don't know about what you... I grew up Catholic, right? And I get yeah. sick of hearing about... Like, people talk about, oh, yeah, I'm Catholic. So, you know, the guilt. The guilt. And, you know, People talk about Catholic guilt or whatever. To be honest,
1: a little bit of guilt. If you do something fucked, you should feel guilty about it. Guilt is what makes the... Because I'm kind of... My show that I'm attempting to write at the moment is about shame and guilt. Or it seems to be like, oh, I, I, it wasn't intended to be, but... <laughs> When I start writing, and then I, I look at everything I've written so far and go, Oh, this is mostly shame based. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I think it's, sh- guilt is like a very healthy thing <laughs> to yes. have because without it, there'd just be murders or just like constant, just things, bad things happening. Guilt is the only thing holding us together, I yeah. think, at the, for the most part. Guilt like, and shame. Guilt and shame. Like they, and you don't want to be entirely guilt and shame based. No. But then you'd work at a women's magazine. <laughs> But, the, yeah. Hel- yeah, I think a healthy dose is is good for people. Guilt and shame is why we both have pants on right now. Guilt yes, and exactly. shame is why uh, we don't, are not still shit. I've I become obsessed with this, and this is not a, a bit at all, um, but uh, about, like, when we started being, like... Uh, there would have been a point when we were like animals and we would just would be shitting. You'd yeah. just be standing there and just start shitting. And I wonder when the guilt and shame about shitting started. Like at what point did we first of all start doing it away from everyone and then suddenly doors got involved and then suddenly... You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Well, that's is it a thousand year thing or is it like a 200 year thing? Or is it like... I've got to think it's more than two hundred. Yeah,
0: because um, uh, you know that, that would have made the the trip out to, to Australia on the boat. Pretty, pretty awful. Shitty, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> what is it, Captain? Yeah. <laughs> so, just a second. Hold on. <laughs> That's what it give me a minute. What it fascinated me with um when when our boys were like when they're babies they a baby can look you like an you know, a baby like a toddler will look you dead square in the eye and take yeah. a shit. And they're yeah. not. They're just happy. They're not worried about it at all. But one of the actually, it's interesting because one of the ways they say you know your kid's ready to start toilet training is when they start to sneak off to go to behind something it. to hide. To, so it's like an inbuilt it. kind of yeah. It's like guilt about it. They, yeah, it's like an instinct that they have. That's so a it's. I'd never really thought of it in those terms, but yeah.
1: Yeah. How weird. I mean, not weird, but like yeah. That totally makes sense. That you were just something clicks at some point. You'd be like, this smells. And it feels awful. Mm. I probably shouldn't be doing this and in front pe- of others. People aren't super happy when, like,
0: the baby must notice at a certain point that, you know, a baby with, oh, it's got to, like, because people will hold a the baby, they'll cuddle a the baby, they'll yeah. around. Oh, he, as soon as I do this, someone passes me change. Change. to someone else. Yeah. All of a sudden you're back with mum and, yeah. you know.
1: And she looks really mad at you.
0: Yeah. So whether whether they're just picking up on that or not, I don't know. But yeah, that that is one of those. um. One of those things they say with, with uh, yeah, toilet training your kids
1: is you know it's time when they start to... Yeah. I never... All of that kind of stuff. That's what terrifies me, the, the idea of ever having children, is the just all of those instinctual things as a parent that you're meant to... Oh, God. I would definitely fuck up a child no. very badly. i got to tell like... Because p- people talk about, oh, I
0: don't know if you've got the... Ins-. One, the instinctual things are often just that. They're instinctual. But two... Yeah a lot of the stuff's not instinctual at all. And you just sort of work it out by fucking up. Yeah. Or, and this is the um, this is the thing with kids, is there's always a million people around who are happy to tell you how you're doing it wrong. Takes a village. Yeah. Well, and it's just, sometimes it just takes a, a crazy woman in the supermarket um, <laughs> just to approach you out of nowhere. So your baby
1: needs socks. He looks cold. and uh, Well, your face looks, uh, fuck you. Yeah. See, I wouldn't even be good at talking to the people in the supermarket. <laughs> I just lose... I'd, like, my fear is I would definitely have those, like... I think I'd I'd accidentally have, like, those dirty-faced kids in the supermarket. Or, like, the kind of... I think I'd actually have ratty kids and I'd let them say fuck too early. And uh, <laughs> and there'd be complaints. They'd bite people. Um, yeah.
0: I, I don't... See, I can't see you having the dirty-faced kids. Because...
1: I'm pretty narcissistic and I think I just forget about them sometimes.
0: Yeah, but also now this that narcissism also plays into... It, your kids are a reflection uh, of you.
1: Oh, yeah, good point.
0: So it'd be like going out with, um, you know, you go out with like an accessory or carrying, yeah. Uh, carrying a... a like, yeah taking your stuff as opposed to putting it in a, in a satchel or a backpack yeah you're just carrying it in an old aldi bag <laughs> you know what i mean like that's how you, that could be pretty cool though in the future who knows yeah well maybe
1: maybe if it becomes a hipster thing you have dirty <laughs> face kids yeah i don't know yeah i i do i go. i mean look again i'm 26 so i don't know if i haven't what, i think i would definitely like to adopt that seems right to me, I used to have a joke about you know it's because there's too many kids in the world, and also you get to pick your color, and that's that's nice. <laughs> um, I think I'm more of an autumn than a winter, uh, but um, I just think there's just already there's so many kids already. I feel like I would I would feel and also there's a lot of stuff going on in my DNA, <laughs> my oh. family that we do not need to continue. <laughs> Let's stop it here, guys. That's it. Yeah, that's that's oh look, that's. That's one thing
0: like i I find if you get if you delve into your entire background and all worry about mm. all that sort of stuff because look you know like we I had a pretty normal family upbringing I suppose and yeah you know it was all fine but then like you know in terms of genetically like my family is you know doesn't seem to be a whole lot wrong and then you know you have problems <laughs> with then you have the problems that crop up with Hands kids out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah you know what I mean like yeah yeah. See, so, I I don't know you can worry too I see I would think we I think we're getting because we're getting so good at being able, like scientifically to be able to you know pinpoint problems and all that sort of stuff I think sometimes too you, we we start to worry about them before they come around Yeah exactly which you know Have like, you ever
1: done one of those DNA things? No but I always kind of want to do wanna. It.
0: Yeah I really want to do it I just find out what what exact sort of mix of race I am.
1: Yeah, what's going on in there? Cuz I mean I'm pretty pale, but then also like my grandmother there's pictures of her with, like like there's a point where it kind of just stops in my family that we oh, don't really, really cuz we also we did my father's side. My, my dad was born in Scotland and grew up in America. And he has like um his sister did like the crazy Ancestry.com thing And got it way 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 back And then it just stops <laughs> Like it's, uh, What happened And the names kind of change. Like it used to be Nickel And then it turned to Nicholson And then like You're like What happened What? And like there's an old One of my My great grandfather Was a vaudeville comedian Oh really And yeah And that's what this That was his wedding ring Is this ring and Oh wow like, That's yeah. nice Yeah it's alright vaudeville. Um, vaudeville Yeah Oh like vaudeville Like Scottish vaudeville Like the He was a comedian yeah, like you know, before the time that they had microphones, <laughs> yeah. But um,
0: back when it's uh, that's that's real, like it. The he probably did the kind of gigs that most comedians now would be like, no, I'm not going on. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> like the he had a double act with his wife Poppy and with Poppy and Jimmy Nickel, and they did like a. I say, I say, like that kind of. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Very weird. It's it's weird to think of
0: how. um Entertainment has changed so much Like what? Even the last five years like, yeah, Or ten exactly. years Well even here too with Like stand-up comedy I feel like when when I was a kid Wasn't as commonly known No and We're definitely
1: in a boom at the moment Yeah
0: Which is um,
1: TikTok Yeah which is worrying <laughs> isn't it <laughs> It's like
0: We're in a boom Why aren't I rich um, We're just waiting for
1: another financial crisis And then it'll be over Yeah
0: But it's uh, It's like if I feel like audiences now are more attuned to uh, like the setup of comedy and what to expect. And Yeah.
1: I mean the fact that people are going to listen to this podcast is proof to me. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. the whole the whole concept of podcasts and watching people just sit around and talk about comedy and life is proof to me that like I, w- I will be I've, – I've listened to other episodes of it and it's very interesting and I think it's you it used to be just we would find this interesting yeah. and now people are really obsessed with like the craft of comedy and – and you can even like, I, I notice that even on stage now you can say, you can call a bit, a bit or say things like callback or, you know, that's the callback or, and they even, you know what I mean? Like dumb yeah. little things like that. Like they're not skits anymore. <laughs> the oh. public doesn't know them as skits. That's what I love when,
0: um, I love when you get someone who's not comedy savvy, like, you know, family yeah. members or whatever. At the, oh, you're still
1: doing your comedy skits? Or no, are they Little young? comedy skits. What's your backup? There was a yeah. go, there's a friend of the family, not, yeah, well, not really a friend of the family anymore. But he, what, this is one of the, when I was about, uh, like, I uh, must've been just about to turn 19 because I moved here and I was visiting Newcastle where I grew up and he was drunk, this friend of the family and just was like, so you, you still in doing Newcastle, this comedy stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Weird. I know. Right. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't, um you know, it was one of the one days that we yeah, were allowed yeah. to drink in, in Newcastle. <laughs> um, no, a lot of alcohol, a lot of meth. And uh and he'd said something like, um, so what's your backup? And I was like, Oh, I don't really And he's like, Oh, you should probably have a backup. And that was the one thing that made me just go, Well, I'm not having a fucking backup because of this douchebag. And anyway, so and you know, his life fell apart and he went broke. But anyways, we don't need to talk about it. But that's um the other thing too with that
0: that's a that's an old older school attitude. Like that yeah. comes from a probably from a time when people people used to just have one job and yeah. keep it for life. Like yeah.
1: That was and it is the to a level, and he did that one of those types of jobs as well. Like he was, and it was quite a good. Like he worked as a, um, he worked in like the um, like services, like uh, ambulancy kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And so it was like great guy, but also just couldn't even see the concept that maybe you know, yeah, you can move. Which I think, and my generation is a very move around, yeah. type of thing. Like it's not you go to uni and you like. I I would imagine most people at my school didn't go to uni. <laughs> Yeah, I, which school did you go to? Hunter School of Performing Arts. Ah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. A there. lot of TAFEs and a lot of like drama schools and stuff, but not too many just communications in blah, blah, blah.
0: Yeah, com- communications degrees <laughs> would have been big out of that. Yeah. I started one of those up in Newcastle and um, mm-hmm. yeah, didn't, I, I realized pretty early on that, that there's too many kids here and not enough jobs at the end of this. Yeah. And I just went, oh, I'm going to go get some life. under my Yeah, belt, then, exactly. Then see if I'm interested in it. And so, yeah.
1: Because I just felt, I remember finishing school and just going like, I don't want to write another essay <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. And there was, I, I applied to a few art schools because there was a point where I used to want to be like a, um, not a designer, but I, I never could quite work out what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something in kind of um, where I got to create things mm. and then the plan was kind of just do stand up kind of as well. And then um I didn't really get into any of the art schools because I was not quite good at any <laughs> of it, Andrew. I'm not good at things. You know who else didn't get into art school, my <laughs> friend?
0: A little man called Adolf Hitler. Yeah, look what he did. Say.
1: And that's why I'd like to talk to you about it. <laughs> um we're just trying to make a cleaner country, you know? Uh no, it's um it's yeah, it's and it, it just made me I just knew I didn't want to... I just want to, I raised five grand, which, by the way, if you want to move to another city, raise way more than five grand. That's not going to get yeah. you through at all. Especially if it's the most expensive city in the country. Yeah. To live. Yeah. Some would even say the hemisphere. Jesus yes. Christ. Oh, it's ridiculous. Um, And I, yeah, I just wanted to move to Sydney and just start doing stuff. I just, I knew I didn't want to do any essays, any more essays. I was so done with them. And I kind of went okay at school. Like I wasn't great, but I, I got through on um, vague charm of being kind of a dick and teachers kind of liked me because I was kind of,
0: you, you strike me though is you'd probably would have been one of those kids who would pick up the concept of whatever it was reasonably quickly. Yeah. And
1: probably I just didn't put the work in.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, I had a bit of that. Like I, it's just like you could pick it up and if, if, if you taught me, the thing on the Tuesday and the test was on the Wednesday. I did pretty well because it was yeah the day. Before. I could really
1: waffle on like yeah. although I didn't. I also I didn't do too well because I did like I didn't do badly, but I I did all subjects that were um like major work subjects and also no kind of intellectual. So I did like the I did a visual arts, drama, um, textiles and design, society and culture, advanced English, and English extension. So like these, but all of them very kind of. Like society and culture, I got like a ninety-eight percent in or something, and um, then I'm just thinking I did
0: <laughs> society and
1: culture. I did. Mm-hmm. Um, what was what was your pip on your personal interest? It was project? about. Um, it was called comedy is all about the timing, and it was about um, the change in stand-up comedy. So there was already like writing, and I've still got it somewhere. I'm quite proud of it. It's like oh, a, really? it's the only time I've ever written like a thesis. Nice. <laughs> about something, and it's just it was about um, whether um, attitudes, uh, whether society has changed whether comedy changes for society or society changes because of comedy. And I use kind of examples of like, um, you know, uh, like satire changing the scape, like something like SNL changing a political sta- scape or did that. T- and like the role of women in comedy is, used to be the joke. And now they're kind of, it was kind of around the time that Hitchens had just written that, article about how women weren't funny i don't know like it was it's still pretty vague but it was it, it went all right i'm just realizing how
0: how recent you were in high school compared yeah. to me um <laughs> that's it no that's interesting so what do you like like so how do you feel that like on that because i've been thinking a lot about the and i read an article i wish i could attribute it to the person but um about how stand-ups in some ways have become the new public intellectuals yeah and how that's probably not what stand-up should be aiming to do no
1: I, like, I, and maybe we're both a little bit the same in that we, I think we both treat comedy, this is just an assumption, but we both treat comedy where, yeah, I'm happy to like say things within my stand up. Yeah. But I'm trying to be funny first. Like most of my jokes are dumb and dick jokes. And, but you know, if I can get a little something in there, I'm happy to do it, but I'm not, I'm definitely, you know, some comics just like definitely a kind of no you need to say something and they need to leave that comedy. like the other night i was, I was doing it the i was at the comedy store the day after trump um had gotten in and kind of didn't really mention it too much cuz people every time i did people seemed quite upset yeah and they've oh. come to watch a show <laughs> to not think about the fact that the world is burning
0: that's exactly the, and that that to me is i got i got a few things one it's they haven't turned up to for me to lecture them on anything, nah. If I want to change their mind, they've turned up because they want to laugh. So yeah. that's my first responsibility is to make them laugh. If I can, then throw an idea in there.
1: Yeah, a little um, something for later.
0: Then that's fine. But once again, my first responsibility is to laugh. And two, I I feel like because I, I call it the John Stewart effect. Yeah. Um. Because it it's. It is a – it's a basically – because it's a monologue. There's no right of reply. So mm. if, you, if I'm up there preaching, you know, whatever I'm preaching, then if someone in the audience isn't agreeing with it, they don't actually get a right of reply or go, hey, what about this? And get yeah. you to expand on it. You get to encase a whole argument um, on your own. And you get to – you get to even like if you're good, um, you get to set up, um, oh, okay, you know, here's another way of looking at it, but then – you get to run the counter argument as well. In yeah, a lot of ways. exactly. If yeah. you're really smart about that, you'll run the counter argument and run it obvious in an obviously weaker way. Yeah, <laughs> so that there's so that it you know your point of view seems like um, yeah you know so you and also you don't seem like biased or yeah. yeah. But um, but and so there's there's this idea there around because you hear people all the time it goes oh yeah. Stand-up comedians, um, you know, one of the things about them is they're all... Everyone thinks stand-up comedians are all depressed. Mm-hmm. They're all um, a little bit uh, crazy. And they're all um, highly intellectual. Mm. Like, highly intelligent. Which, spend some time around them. I
1: know some of the happiest idiots I've ever met in my life. I was going to say.
0: There's some great... Like, there are some very, very smart stand-up comedians. But there's also some very, very not smart stand-up comedians. Yeah. And... You can't like it's a, it's, it is really one of the things I love about comedy is you, do, you just meet the range of people, yeah, from backgrounds and points of view. And like, I know more conspiracy theorists <sighs> oh boy. in comedy than I do any from anywhere else, but then you get the total opposite end of that too some very politically engaged people, yeah, who are, yeah, who are very much more fact based, and so. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah all right, sorry yeah the I, I the, link, the links make sense. Yeah. <laughs> no no, I'm not, but I agree like the and you know what M- for the most part, I can't be bothered to talk to either of those groups of people <laughs> when I'm backstage because <laughs> I got my dick jokes to do yeah. but it's yeah it's a very this. it's a very interesting uh like it's a it's a melting pot in its purest form, I think because mm. it's either it's the only job I reckon that's either exclusively the misfits from school or the popular people from school. Yeah. Because we're all trying to prove something. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, a lot of people... Yeah, you're right. Like a lot of people think that we're like we're all these... We were all not popular at school and we're all like got these deep-seated... And look, a lot of us do. I have a lot of issues, Andrew. But then you also meet some of the people that... And, you know, sometimes I don't necessarily trust them. But the people that are just blindly quite happy and just are doing it because they're good at talking. And they're really funny and really nice. And you're like, what... Yeah. Why, why are you so Why, well why you, What? What happened? There's got to be... You're doing murders or something. <laughs> yeah. There's something wrong. Um, yeah, I think they're more the kind of... They're the, they're the ones that I don't trust as much. But um, yeah, it's a really odd... And I think that's why people always expect us to be kind of funny all the time and backstage. And like it must be a bloody riot. But it, for the most part, like we don't... It's like any job where you've been forced to hang out with these people. Like people in an office fucking hate a lot of the people in that office. And I, you know, I, some of my best friends are in comedy, but also sometimes I am so sick of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> and I've now, for the first time in years, I have a group of friends at the moment that aren't in comedy. Like, because I moved out of school, I moved out of home, like finished school, moved out of home, and didn't really see any of my school friends anymore. I, like maybe for a year or so, still hung out with them. And then you just kind of branch away. You yeah, know, drift and, apart. And Everyone's then, on their own little journey. And then for four years, I've had exclusively... <laughs> comedy friends. And it sends you a bit nuts because you're constantly thinking like, how'd you get that? And why is that funny? Like, let's pull apart everything. Like we're very, every, every comedian is very analytical. That's what we yeah. do. So every little tiny thing is like just pulling it the When, why can't I've, I've been enjoying just going to a movie and just watching a movie with a friend. And then we walk out and talk about why we enjoyed it. No, no, no chats about the choices that they made or the, the or who wrote on that one or going through the imdb page and making sure that blah 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 like it's just that's where nat really um my wife nat really
0: grounds me because i'm the same i get there very you know and sometimes you sit down she's watching some crappy reality show and i start to just pick it apart pick it up and she's just she gets the she's like why can't you just sit and watch and that's what I realized. oh this isn't like that's i'm not doing it because I'm not picking it apart. I'm just picking it apart because I'm like, well, how is this television? Like, you know, yeah. because I'm seeing something I want to be part of. Yeah. Not necessarily that show, but you want to be able to get, why can't I get my ideas on TV and this garbage is on TV? And so mm. you start to pick it apart. But that's not what it's about because she's sitting there watching it quite happily. Yeah. And you just go, oh, okay, that's not, like, this isn't for me.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Like, I I remember I was, there's a show on channel... Nine or 10 or one of the shiny channels. That's like that music quiz show. The, yes. And it's That's one of terrible. the ones. That's it's one of the terrible ones. Terrible show. That, um, and we know some of the people on it. And maybe sometimes some of those people are people that maybe I don't like or I've had weird situations with or. um. And so you and I, I was watching it with I was in Perth with my boyfriends and his mother and my boyfriend and I were just ripping it apart. And she kind of got upset at us after a while. She was like, guys, just let this I just I wanna watch this is my show that I watch. Yeah. And, I with, and then this you show. feel bad because you're kind of over-intellectualizing. Just a fun, like just a fun, dumb show. That's
0: all it's supposed
1: to be. Yeah. Just people
0: having fun. And then not everything can be Louie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's what sometimes when you're looking for that, it's it's very easy to sort of start to look down your nose at that sort of stuff. Yeah. That is the exact show that um I was thinking of. Yeah. When um uh, when did um, Georgie Parker though become Australia's drunk aunt? Yeah,
1: she, she was. She on... used to be a. She was a nurse or a doctor or something or whatever. That what, what was she on? What was that show? Uh, a country practice. Uh, no, was that it? Yeah, she was on a country practice, but then she was also in that hospital show um, that was huge for a while. Oh, now this is. It's what... like McLeod's Daughters era. Yeah, and they shot it over at
0: Concord. Yes. In yeah. The, Yeah. Yeah. And then suddenly... See, this is the problem. You and I can remember details
1: like that. Yeah.
0: But not the actual name of the the show. But not the actual
1: name of the show. Yeah. We listen to the wrong bits, I think. Yeah, Because we're constantly looking for something to be... Because comedy in itself, this sounds kind of wanky, but comedy itself is mean. Like, I don't think either of us do mean comedy, right? But, like, I try... Oh, I try... Like, I do mean comedy, but not... It's not at the expense of anyone that exists. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not... You know, Madonna's put on a bit like... I don't do that kind of stuff but I think comedy in itself as a concept is like trying to find flaws in things. Like a joke is finding something that's weird. Yeah. And so you're constantly prodding at something. And so we're, even when you listen to someone, like we're always trying to be funny in conversation maybe. So you're always kind of like looking to, well, no, you said something wrong there. So you try and yeah, point it you're out. You're finding the flaw or the, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's true. Like it's I,
0: I, I've found one of the most enjoyable weekends I ever worked, um, uh, just emceeing was uh, I did a weekend at the Laugh Garage when it was still around. Yeah, and uh, Adam Dean was headlining, the yeah. magician. So, yeah, <laughs> so and that's the thing. Like, ghost comedians, we all make fun of magicians um, because and and with you know whatever good reason or whatever. Yeah. But one of the things I love is whenever I'm if I'm um, you know when I usually was there and there'd be a there'd be a headlining comic, I'd be sitting through their set trying to just trying to learn. Just trying yeah. to pick apart, like, okay, how that, oh, I see how he did that. And he, you know, yeah. how they're reading the audience. And you're always trying to learn. So I'd feel like I was on with Adam Dean. It's so different to anything I could do. I'm never going to be a magician. I just <laughs> got to sit there like an audience member and go, ah, how did he do that? Yeah. It's like, so I, and I, it was the same I did, um, did a, did a, did some time store uh, a little while ago where they had um an act from Melbourne on called Shoko. She's a Japanese. Oh, yeah. She's telling me she used to be like a performance artist type thing and she'd do these puppets. And, yeah. and it's it's that exact same thing where it's so different so from anything I'd ever try. And it. I was just able to detach and just enjoy it as an audience member.
1: Yeah. And it's like, I because I find the most, I laugh the hardest at things that are something I don't. Do. Like Sam Campbell to me is, yes. is one of the funniest things, even when it's not going well. Is one of the funniest things in the world to me because it's so far from what I do, and I have no. I like I watch Sam Campbell the way that I watch a magician. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> it's I'm like
0: the same. It's how are
1: you? <laughs> I don't no understand way. how you've thought of this. Yeah, you've gaffer taped like a you know a dog throwing a ball throwing thing with an orange. At, like I don't, but it's so dumb and funny, and it's the same as like say the Pajama Men or like um yeah just things that are so far away from me that I just like you, yeah, you watch it like a baby having keys jangled in front of you. Yeah.
0: It's, it's something completely different
1: to, yeah. Where like, And I actually can laugh at those things. Whereas when I'm just watching stand up, I'm kind of like, oh yeah. Oh, it's a good bit. No, I get that. Oh yeah. Oh no. Yeah. It would be cool if you did that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a good, oh yeah. yeah good. Bit. And I'm constantly thinking about my own act and thinking <laughs> like, oh, maybe if I did something kind of like, and you stop li- watching and you stop listening. <laughs> it's a, it's
0: like that. you, James Smith, his classic is, he just goes, yeah, very funny.
1: Yeah. Very funny. Yeah. Like, never laugh. No. Very funny. I don't think I've laughed. The last time I properly laughed at something was, I saw Sarah Silverman a few years ago. And, cause I also paid for the tickets. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so like. you're invested. Yeah. That was the thing. And I think that's, we get used to watching, I don't know if this is boring or not, but like watching. Just free comedy all the time, and mm. so you stop kind of. And do you ever freak out when someone says to you after, like, "This was my first sh- comedy show. This is the first time I've ever seen comedy." You like, you don't go. I forget that people don't go every fucking night. Yeah, to comedy. Yeah, and you realize that there is there is that
0: whole there is an audience out there that are just totally not yeah necessarily in the in the circles we're in because you always think like I, I don't know about you but I always feel like when I'm getting up in a room that it's the same people. Yeah, that are there, and yeah, you realize that no, 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 there's a lot of people out there. Like it, that's in my, oh, I'm gonna be doing something different, you always working something. You know, you don't want to be doing the same stuff all the time. Yeah, and then you
1: realize you could do, you can do the same stuff to yeah. a whole bunch it doesn't of different matter. audiences. It doesn't, matter. it doesn't matter. And then, and you also, and you quite arrogantly think like, oh, I did this bit on TV on a tiny show that no one's ever heard of. <laughs> I shouldn't do that bit because they would have seen it. And then yeah. you, you go. Oh wait, no, no one's ever. Like I remember, because I, I did the gala this year, terrifying and exciting, but I did a bit that is like, and I remember freaking out because it's like one of my favorite, it's one of my better bits. I did like the mugging yep. story and then I thought, well, I've got it. This is just going to be bad. gone now. It's over. Absolutely not. You really realize how people do not <laughs> yeah, really watch the gala. Oh. I did about three weeks after it where I wasn't really doing it and then I kind of did it a couple times and it still worked. I was like, oh, right. Okay. Well, this. Or too, I think they
0: don't remember like I uh, because I've had this happen where I've done a bit like a year apart, done a bit um in front of people who watch comedy and I know they've seen it both yeah. times and have said to me, I love that new bit. And I'm like, You definitely yeah. saw that
1: a little while. Yeah. There. People just take it in like if, if it's a good show if you walk it's that old cliche of if you walk out and you can't remember anything that they said. Yeah. And yeah, I think people liked it. And people have, you know. Some comics, when they get very famous, they'll kind of any requests and like people. There are famous, you know, famous bits, so people yeah. want to hear them. I, to which be is honest, a terror.
0: I would never do that. To be honest, I, I get bored with my own stuff much quicker. Than, oh yeah. I and and I think you, can t- you ever get that bit that stops working as yeah. well, and you can't, you don't know why, you don't know why, and then you listen. I've I've had that, and I've listened to the recordings a while after and go oh i can tell why it's because you don't sound like you're dead in the eyes yeah you sound no. like you're just reciting something you're not actually yeah telling the joke you're not
1: engaged with i it. end up setting myself traps when that starts to happen like i um will kind of take like move a line around or something so i'm suddenly like having to think about it because i like i'm very i'm word perfect yeah a lot of my act and um so i almost have to do that so i don't seem like i'm ba 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 like we even did a gig a couple of weeks ago the Crow's Nest one where i felt yep. like i was very <laughs> just scripted and just waiting for the noises to happen and just waiting for the becomes very kind of primal at that point i make this noise and then you make that noise and then i make these noises you make that noise
0: so you can though you've got um you you've got performance chops you you i i've noticed this with it. There's guys um, who you're very well like your stuff's very well written, but it's also mm. you perform your comedy. Mm. Whereas I feel like I tell I my comedy at people. <laughs> no,
1: nah, you've got you've got the kind of timing. We're just sucking each other's dicks now. Um, but the you have the kind of thing that I'm obsessed with. That like, and Hannah Gadsby has it as well. And like the you don't have to. I feel like I have to be constantly moving and shouting, and then doing quiet noises and then making weird noises to like make a room. But you can stand there and re- like do your jokes and perform, like you perform, yeah. but and kill a room the same way that I can kill a room by constantly moving. Like they're just two different things, but it's also I like it's the it's less. I feel like I need bells and whistles.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I feel like I don't. The, I'm I'm obsessed. My obsession at the moment is I want to have gears. Um, and mm. it came out Mick Meredith. I remember talking to him one time. He just got off a cruise ship. He was telling me how old the. He said, "Oh, it's just all old ladies." I said, "I oh, had that go." He goes, "Oh, don't worry, Barney. I've got gears." <laughs> and I was like, "That was the perfect way of summing it up." And yeah, you know Mick Meredith. That is exactly what he's got. Like yeah. he can he can he, kill any room. Yeah, he, because he can he can read an audience and he can adjust all this. Yeah, that's my my obsession at the moment, and I feel like like. I'm sometimes two feet planted too. Like I wish I had more of that performance stuff like you. um, Cam Knight's another one Mm. who really can just perform. I think
1: I kind of learned it off him. Really? (laughs) Yeah, probably. Because when I first started at the comedy store when I was like 18 and I wanted to be, I really wanted to be Sarah Silverman. (laughs) Very far away from what I do now. But like, (laughs) but I, I used to just stand there and I used to have, I used to embroider swear words on like, college shirts i used to wear skinny black jeans on stage and like had huge fucking hair and then um and just would say just really horrific like i had a bunch of like aids jokes and like just really horrific angry and he kind of t- uh, just by watching him and growing up in that kind of for the next two years and there, just watching him just learn how to do a joke yeah it doesn't need to be kind of like and then i killed him like you know just that yeah. kind of And I was homeschooled, like just the classic open mic kind of bullshit. Yeah, and classic open mic, pull back and reveal structure. Cam kind of taught me to um, like joke, 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 joke. Like it's not just one punchline. It's like you can, in five minutes, you can pack like 50 punchlines if you want. Like just bang, 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 bang. Never stop, never stop, never stop. Um, But uh, him, yeah, him and weirdly um, Dave Eastgate as well.
0: Both, both good performance kinds. Yeah, so I loved um because you and I have worked together most commonly at the comedy store. Yeah. Um, but that's I think I said to you one time we did the casino together. Oh boy, yes. It was um no, it was one of the first times I got to actually watch you from the front because at yeah, the comedy right. store you sit out the back and I'm usually hosting, some, just watching on that tiny little monitor. Yeah. I don't get to go out,
1: and you I, you don't get the full nuance of the performance. Yeah. And so I love it. And, uh, you say a lot, like, because I was saying this weekend and you find yourself just saying, sounded great to yeah. everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was great. Oh, it sounded great. Yeah. Oh, gee,
0: they liked you. Yeah. Gee, oh, they, yeah. Kill, they killed yeah. <laughs> that bit. <laughs> and you hope they know which bit you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. But that's, um, and it's the same with uh, Cam and Dave. Like, there's, there's guys I love, and Dave Williams is another one. Mm-hmm. I love when I can work with them and actually sit with the audience and watch the whole show. Yeah, and learn how, yeah. Because I feel like, like with a guy like Bruce Griffiths, for example, mm. and we go going pretty, pretty niche into comedy, yeah. Stuff. Right Google now, I just realized, but Bruce is a, a one-liner guy. stands there, so I can feel like I can be backstage, just sort of listening to Bruce and get the get, get the, the same kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas there, there are guys too, and that's what I kind of just want to be able to, um, you know, like I said, develop the gear where I perform a little more. Yeah, but. The other thing you notice is, uh, do you find it funny when you see people doing stuff that's not naturally them because they feel like they've got to? It took do me
1: that? years to kind of work out what I do and be the, what I kind of in the suit and the glasses, like it. But it took me years to, yeah, to work out, and I think it takes everyone years. Yeah, you, you, when you learn um, to write things that you think are funny as opposed to what you think the audience will find funny coming out of you, yeah. Like, I've noticed, I've
0: noticed lately, like I talk about influential comedians, The Sam Campbell, you mentioned before, yeah, silly stuff. He's probably the guy, I think, who's most influential over the current crop of open mic comics. Yes. You see a lot of them, do, like, will flip into a couple of...
1: Yeah. Type kind of, of...
0: Mannerism type things.
1: Yeah. He's kind of there, and he has no idea, but he's no. kind of their leader. Yeah. <laughs> and they have... That he has no idea that he's doing he's <laughs> doing this for these people,
0: but yeah. and it's it's done out of they they enjoy what he's doing, like yeah, they, they, that's you know it's it's a it's a massive compliment in a way, yeah. But um, you know, I feel like if you know more of them had kids, um, you know, they'd probably be trying to mimic me, but um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it's it's just interesting to see um to see who does influence the the comedian, yeah. You
1: know. And it's but I think it's any time that someone comes through and does something like. Different. Not so different. Yeah. Not just a little bit different, but just like, whoa, what? Um, like, uh, and you always know, you look at the... Uh, what's the weird Like, a, a weird example is, say, when Fiona Lachlan became a thing. Yep. Like, when she was first on the gala, suddenly all... You'd go to watch Raw, and suddenly all Raw comedy was, like, women in their 40s talking about their kids and being really brutal about... It. Like, there's this weird... whoever hit because it becomes when someone's new in the zeitgeist it becomes attainable for open micers and so you're like oh fuck i should start talking about that i should be way more brutal and like the amount of um remember when dimitri martin became a thing the amount of open mic that was guys being weird with a guitar and just saying you know acerbic (laughs) one-liners over the over the top of a guitar it's like oh wow you Demetri Martin has no idea how much money he made for Muso's Corner, yeah. In all, just, yeah, just all the music stores, anyways.
0: So, who would you like? You basically, so you moved to Sydney and straight into comedy. How, yeah. How did you start in comedy?
1: Um, not very well. Um, <laughs> I started. Yeah, I moved. I did raw comedy, which is a great thing, and people should do it. Um, but I did it three times like I, I try I, I did it the first time I did class clowns first when I was like fifteen and Sam Simmons came to Newcastle and was like the mentor for the day. And this is before he was he was still working as a zookeeper. Oh wow. And um had he said over the course of the day, like, Oh, I um I'm maybe starting to do some stuff with Triple J. So it was just about before he kind of turned yeah, into Sam Simmons. Really turned into- um, and he was really nice to me. So he's the first person to ever see me do stand up ever. And he was just really good. And then I got, I, so I got to the state final of Class Clowns. And just before I walked out on stage, Sam said, um, if you don't, because he was hosting that one as well, said, if you don't fuck this up, you've got it. And then apparently I fucked it up because I <laughs> did not get it. And then I waited a couple of years and I used to, I just started trying to, like, I was that annoying underage kid for a while that was, would come to Sydney after school and do tr- like bomb at the Roxbury when I was like 17. Um, do five minutes, die in the ass, like hardcore bomb, get back on the train. You'd catch the train down. Yeah. I don't know what my parents were thinking. Like my parents are not, like my parents are very supportive um, and like very responsible adults. I don't know what they were thinking. Just literally like, okay, so after school, I'm going to get on the train. I guess I was just happy. I wasn't, because I wasn't a troubled child in, I was naughty, but I wasn't, um, like I was disruptive in class and stuff, but I wasn't. I was never going to be the kid that they found a crack pipe in the yeah. bag or something. Like I was very um, bookish isn't the right word, but I was I was boring but rude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, they probably too. Like that from a
0: parent's perspective is probably. There's worse things for a kid to be trying to focus on. It's yeah. Like, oh, they they want to do... Like, it is reasonably... I um, just want to make jokes. Yeah, I just want to make jokes. It's something... Oh, what what's he spending his time doing? Oh, he's in his room writing jokes. Like, yeah, exactly. There's um, a million worse things.
1: Mum even still says, like, we didn't really... We just knew that you were quite passionate about it. We didn't really understand. But we just kind of let you <laughs> yeah. do it. I'm like, great. That's, that's sure. great parenting. That's yeah. the
0: exact level of hands-on slash uh, hands-off that you sort yeah. of want. Like, because... You know, it'd be weird if they went fully over the top with it and were trying to, you know, I oh, know you need to be working on your jokes. Yeah. And then, um, you know. Like we'll, stage mumming. Yeah, stage, stage mumming.
1: stand-up. <laughs> oh, that would be, that'd be, that'd be amazing. Be, yeah. Smile. Um, look sadder. But I did that and then I did Raw and I, I auditioned for it three times and then on the last time I got through to the final and then just kind of, yeah, just got a went to Melbourne comedy festival for the first time and was it like, cause you get flown there and you do the, and so kind of you, but I'd been gigging for the last two years, but very poorly to no response. And the Ori, the, the um, yep. cl- club in uh, like comedy room started in Newcastle and I used to be kind of the resident MC there for a bit and was very bad, but I'll, I was just starting to get little chops. Like I hadn't gotten the writing worked out yet, but I was starting to get like the, how to be comfortable on stage and not freak out all the time and not, be nervous and if someone shouts something out not to shit yourself i was gonna
0: say what a great room to learn that into the ORI. oh and that would have been back when it because it it got it got very comedy savvy for a little yeah. while um when i first started doing it
1: there it wasn't comedy savvy. No. it was still the occasional blow up because they turned the footy off um, yeah people would be mad i was on stage there once i was in, and i went through a lot of weird there was a point there was a you know when you think about choices that you made very yep. early on, you're like, why was I doing that? Um, like there was a night where I had like a fur coat on for some reason and just decided to wear that on stage for some reason. And um, uh, uh, always very, very strange costume choices for me in the early days. Um, but but it, lo- it did teach me to be It almost almost to my detriment at first because it taught me to be really aggressive. Mm. And I was So You know When the Ori first started Yeah There was a night Where a winning football team Came in chanting And I had to like Go for two for two With them Um, Like And just Shouting back and forth And it taught me to be really vile (laughs) kind of and so when i moved to sydney suddenly i was saying cunt all the time and like on stage and i was really violent on stage and really rude and crude and awful but that's um
0: that goes back to learning those gears like yeah exactly there are people probably who've been around you know quite a number of years there now that you know we probably both worked with yeah that wouldn't necessarily have that gear in that Mm. like if that football team were Oh yeah, it, it can
1: still it's come out of me since. Like mm. as in I don't really do it anymore. I do I'm quite different on, on like very different on stage now. But if something kicks off, I can yeah, you've you've got the ability it to comes know. out you've of me like a snake. <laughs> <laughs> um but I did that and I just knew like I um I just met people in Melbourne and I knew that I just wanted to keep going back to Melbourne Comedy Festival and I used to just me and my friend Ella, who was a comic um at the time, we were both we were both the same age and just wanted to kind of get into it. And just kept, we would go every year on a week trip and we'll go and just watch stand up. And then I moved to Sydney and just started to try and just, I just gave myself no fallback. Yeah. <laughs> I saved five grand from the burger shop that I was working at, um, found a house and just, uh, but then I got, I got lucky in that I got a job at the Enmore Theatre because the people that run the comedy store, I was starting doing jokes about how broke I was. And so they said, oh, what, do you want a job? And then they, they kept getting me work because I was very bad at my job at Enmore. So like I just would be like, Well, the filing would be done better if I was doing less of this and more stand up. <laughs> um and so they kind of yeah, they supported me for a while. Oh, that's great. That's yeah,
0: yeah. You you're um yeah, you're regular at the the store. Yeah.
1: And I I learnt, like I was a big old mess back then like like drinking way too much and, and partly because of the comedy store because it was free booze and I was nineteen just moved to a new city and suddenly I'm on the bill with like Hannah Gadsby and you yeah know. but there was like one of my first nights at the store I woke I'd passed out on the couch backstage and I woke up to Hannah Gadsby like trying to like are you okay. <laughs> And so that was like a weird moment of like, oh, my God, it's panicked And also, oh, no, <laughs> this is embarrassing. <laughs> this isn't the way we wanted to meet. But they put up like they they there was a few of us that they clearly saw like, oh, they want to do this. Like, you know, when you, s- s- open mic is that they clearly wanted and they're working hard at it. Yeah. And then there's also the ones that are just like, oh, I just turn up and I don't try. And there it, was a few of us that just wanted to do it. And so they kind of looked after us and put us on when we clearly were not ready. But also they'd gone bankrupt, so they were rebuilding the the store itself, like as a concept. Mm. And so there was, you know, sometimes like forty people in there.
0: It's a. It's probably a case of really good timing for you and them, because yeah. like they have you know, they've still like you're still work with them. Yeah. So that's um that's that's something like they they've been willing to invest in you in a totally. very early part of yeah your career, and, and now
1: the now they're my managers. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's like um. Yeah, it's like the kind of, I, I was very, and I'm happy as I was very lucky. Like it, it was, if I'd have moved here, because I met, because the Raw finals were on there and the guy that used yep. to book it, Michael Brown, um, who kind of is the only reason that I still, in a very strange, vague way, is one of the only reasons that I still lived in Sydney and like, because the comedy still were my first paid gigs. Mm. And so just being able to survive, but he, he met me during Raw and was when I was like 17, and was like, Hey, if ever you move to Sydney, let me know. And we'll put you on at the store. So it meant that the first, we worked at it. I told them, oh, I'm going to move in the next few months. And we booked a date in and I moved to Sydney that day. So my very first day in <laughs> Sydney that I lived there, my dad, we put all our stuff in the back of a ute, drove down. He helped me unpack. And then he drove back to, it was just very weird. Like he was like, well, there's your stuff. Anyways, your mother and I love you. Break a leg, son. Bye. And then drove away. And then suddenly, oh, I live in Sydney now. Um, and then that night was my first gig at the comedy store.
0: Oh, Wow. That's a, that's, yeah, that's crazy. Like, yeah, very weird. Jumping, there's something to be said, though, for jumping feet first in just getting into it. Like, that's, that's obviously how you approached it. No backup plan. Nah. That's, yeah, that's good. That's a, that's a, it's interesting, but it's also credit to Michael Brown or, and, you know, the guys there since who obviously saw the potential.
1: And I was brutal.
0: Like, I was really, I was a bad comedian. Like, Bad. It's funny with that sort of stuff. Like I remember, you know, a couple of people early on, you know, at open white nights, hey, you know, and they help you get your your first pay gig. Yeah. And listening back to, because I, I don't know about you, but I record all my sets just mm-hmm. on my phone. And yeah. I don't, I don't regularly listen to them. But every now and then I'll listen to one of those early sets where someone's heard me and gone, oh, this guy may will help, you know, we'll get him a gig over here or something. Yeah. And now... Like at the time I thought, wow, they've, they've recognized that I'm doing pretty well. Mm. But now I listen to it and go, I I don't think I would have heard what they heard. No. I
1: don't know how they picked it. I think I have like a, sympathy isn't the right word, but an affinity to like, if, you know, sometimes if I'm booking a show for something, there'll be people like sometimes nut jobs (laughs) in this industry, but you can see from like, I'll do a couple gigs with them and you can kind of be like, oh, you really want this and you just Mm. haven't quite worked out. How, How yet? And you watch it happen like um uh who's an example of it? Like not someone that I've but um I don't know, someone who just worked it out and suddenly yeah. they were um like uh Katie Birch worked like was always very good, but then something happened and then in six months she became like incredible. Yes. Like really like bang and uh John Cruikshank where it just happened. Like, they go from kind of like, yeah, they're pretty funny to like, fuck, you totally know what you're doing now. They, I, I often talk about that as, um, I think of that as they they get a handle on what it
0: is about them that's funny, why they're funny. Yeah. Like, they get real good control of it. And, like, Crookshank's exactly the...
1: Yeah, it happened about example. a year ago. He's always been around and he's always been great. And then something happened. It's like, yeah, what it is.
0: something happens and then all of a sudden they're, they're another level or three up on where they were. And you're yeah. like, wow. That had, and we it's weird because it feels like it happened to to you. It, you go, this happened overnight, but you realize like for yourself, that yeah. it's just all that work there. It just in. T- it
1: took ages, yeah. yeah, and weeding out the and also just taking. Um, I feel it sounds weird, but like taking advice. Zoë so I used to have a bit that was about a five minute bit, and it was my closer for like two years, about um me doing this gig for a bunch of lesbians, and um that they were and they were. It was, it was, yeah, it's like a really low. And I'd said the C, I said can't a lot in it. And it was like pretty. I, I remember the bit. Yeah. And it took Zoe Ma, who is, I'm now married to, <laughs> but years <laughs> ago said to me, just flat, you don't need to do that bit because it doesn't fit with anything else. Because I'd kind of, and I just started and I was really unhappy with my material at that point. Like I'd, i something had clicked, but I didn't have the material to back it up. Yeah. And I, so I was still just plowing out this shit that I wasn't really happy with. And she's kind of went, just stop doing it and you'll automatically have a new <laughs> closer. And just but just taking advice, that kind of advice of yeah. from people that even like, you know, because she's my age and she's also not, she not, wasn't like a famous comedian or anything, but just someone going, you're better than that. Yeah. Someone who's,
0: someone who's watched, knows enough to look and have that outside perspective. I remember I had this bit for a while I was doing, and it was just never worried. it Was a bit that sort of had three beats. Yeah, and uh, I remember, and I my favourite beat was I'd had I'd do that last, and but it was never really getting what I felt like it deserved though, like and make mm. audiences uncomfortable and stuff because it was talking about racism and, and yeah. stuff like that. And um, and I remember Maddie B saying to me, he goes, um, "I reckon that'd do better if that, but you, the the line you say at the end, you you do that first. Yeah. And then use the other two as tags. And ever since then, it just became a reliable bit. Yeah. It's just the, it's an
1: outsider. Yeah, exactly. Just move that so easy. Yeah.
0: Why don't you see it? Because they're like, because they're our babies. (laughs) Yeah. Because you're not, because the outsider is not emotionally invested. Yeah, exactly.
1: That's like, because I get my boyfriend, Karen, kind of directs my shows in that I write them and then just show i'd show him all the material and he's able to look at it and go well that fits into that and that mm. fits into that and is able to put into an order and like the way that i write these days is um we call it lead the witness where i'll pitch bits to him and he just asks me questions oh that's fantastic like and just i, how do I get nat to do it like it's so because it's not but but it's it means if they're not invested in it it's just mm. random. and all you're doing is trying to make them laugh
0: yeah, if I just tried to make Nat laugh, my act would be completely different. Yeah, She's right. She's not particularly entertained by me at all, which is one of the things. It's actually fun for me because I know every now and then I know like when she comes to see her show, I know a bit that'll get her. Yeah. And it's a bit offbeat and it's a bit sillier than a lot of the other yeah. stuff. And um, and I know like... So I ro- I like being able to let her know that I can do this. Yeah. I, I know that you're not interested in the rest of this shit, but I can get you there with that
1: There's one. something about it. Isn't it like the... Yeah, Kyron will come to like a trial show or something, and he 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 won't, and he'll you know there'll be the same shit that I've been plowing out in the last few days, few months in the clubs, and then there'll just be a little weird little thing that maybe I thought of the day before and just wrote down, and yeah, you just hearing him laugh makes you go, oh thank God, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, validation, oh good,
0: (laughs) yeah, um now. We're getting on time, but yeah, I, there's a couple of things I did want to cover with you. there's heaps. You're going to have to come back because there's heaps of questions I had yeah, that sure. we haven't uh, got I, to. I waffle along. No, no, no. This has been good. I just yeah. found it. just all of a sudden looked up and went, oh, that's been an hour. <laughs> um, but uh, so you you mentioned you're married, one. Yeah. But you're also engaged. Yeah. Um, Polygamy is a crime. Yeah. Um, for a couple... Talk me through the marriage. <laughs> and then with your engagement, we got to... You, you have your own podcast, so I want you to give a plug yeah. for that and a quick chat about that.
1: So I married a lesbian called Zoe Kumsma during Melbourne Comedy Festival. I keep almost saying last year, but it was this year. Um, but uh, it was because we're both with our partners for six or seven years and just find it... For, we, what, what happened was we were in Edinburgh and she plays a character called Dave who is that's so? look it up. It's she got, she won the Barry, the big award she's this year. She's incredible. Brilliant. Yeah. And a um complete nut job in the, in a sane type of way. Like she's seems really regular. And then she'll <laughs> sprout out these ideas. You're like, Oh, you're crazy. Um, but she, uh, she, we, we were at a, Edinburgh festival and we just done a show and I was in like a glittery jacket and she was dressed as Dave and she, often ends her shows by being covered in blood and fake vomit and just looking with a cut, fake cut on the on her head. And she looks grim by the end of them. And we walked past a mirror and I said, oh, we look like the worst, the most fucked up wedding toppers at a gay wedding I've ever seen. Like we just looked like these gross <laughs> two guys and what happened here. And we laughed and then we went and got very drunk and we we're having a hangover brunch the next day. And she kind of, she's a playwright as well. She writes these quite amazing plays. And she said, um, I have this idea that I think would be a really funny and kind of... She used the word, and I can't pull off the word, but uh, like a kind of radical act that I think would be quite funny. I was like, yeah. Not radical
0: the way the Ninja Turtles
1: used it. No. Radical in the more political sense. Yeah. Which I've never been... Like, I'm politically aware, but not hugely. And also, I've never been like a political comedian like it just it's not i'm socio-political i'm not kind of you know i'm not going to talk about abbott or really necessarily i'll do references but anyways um and she said we should get married i think that would be very funny to prove that it's odd that we can't marry our partners who we love but we can legally marry each other and we do not love each other at all and I had started laughing very hard and then I said, yes. And then we realized we were engaged wow. <laughs> and <laughs> got a bottle of champagne and like called our partners. And her part, both our, both Karen and her partner, Kate, like freaked out in a very odd way because not freaked out, but um, Kate even wrote an article about it for The Guardian That's Kate Jinks wrote. It's great. But uh, about how it just, you never expect, like your partner in a very weird visceral way is calling you to say, I'm marrying someone else. And even though she doesn't really believe in marriage, Kate and Zoe don't really want to get married generally, but they believe in marriage equality. They were just kind of, she kind of got all weirded out. Mm. Um, And Karen was a little bit the same. Like Karen was with his mother when I called him and (laughs) told him and he was like, yeah, it just felt very strange. And so, and then, you know, it, it it worked out really great. The Melbourne Comedy Festival got involved. It was a big charity event. Um, It was in like, it kicked off more than we thought it would. Like it was in four or five major newspapers. Um, you know, we were on the cover of a couple things. Like it was just, it was very odd because uh, we, and we purposely, we, we didn't tell anyone about it until it was announced. And so that, like there was this thing in the Melbourne comedy festival program called the wedding and there was no information about it until the last week. Um, and then we just got the publicist team to just release what it was. And there was all these plans. Like so Bridget Bantick, who's one of the major producers of the Melbourne comedy festival, um, just was like totally on board from the get go and just went, right. So what we should do. And we, we had two meetings <laughs> <laughs> in the six months leading up to it. Which for a wedding is not much. Yeah, no, not too many. Okay. And look, there was a lot of all these different ideas, how we do it. Um, but uh, the main ideas were like, we get married. These are the people that we would love. To, it, it, it's basically a lineup show, but it's in the form of a wedding. And so we had like Hannah Gadsby host it. And Judith Lucy, Celia Pacola and Denise Scott were the flower girls. And um, our parents came and we had... Uh, hot brown honeys who were like this really f- full on great, uh, queer women of color group do like this fight, the power song <laughs> to open up. So it was, but then also had, um, you know, blood pouring out of our noses. Like it was, just, it was part fucked up, part poignant. And we had a choir, and blah, 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 blah. blah. But, it, but what was amazing to us is we had all these dumb ideas that then we got there on the day and they were all there. <laughs> like oh, the, the, totally. the festival had just gone, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. That sounds great. There was a big archway. There was grass on the stage. There was, yeah, a choir for one joke. We, we got Will Anderson to be a visual gag at the very end. That was, um, well, obviously we need to sign a will. And then Will Anderson walked out and we signed him and he walked off and that was it. <laughs> and it was the most satisfying, but it, it just, um, it was fun. Cause I'd never been part of something before and I'd never been part of anything, especially that felt like people were talking about it. As it, it was terrifying on the night as well. Cause all this would have a week of a lot of publicity about it. And just more and more stress and not too much of it had really been planned until the week before, like as in, physically done Mm. so we weren't even sure whether people were going to turn up to it we weren't sure if how we were gonna there's a napkin that we went to a ramen place on swanson street in melbourne and we drank beers it's just zoe and i and we needed a piece of paper so we got a like a like a rip off napkin thing and wrote down the set list of it and the idea of it and then for my actual engagement when i actually got engaged to karen she gave it to me framed as like a so now i've got hanging my wall like this Really, w- like a really straight, and it's like drunk scrawlings of like, and then Denise comes out, and then blah blah. So it's it's an odd thing to have this, <laughs> like
0: memorabilia. A, yeah, what an awesome piece of memorabilia.
1: Yeah. And um and yeah, so that's that's cool. And it just it worked out. We were so stressed backstage though, like so. So it was like a normal wedding. Yeah, but that's what we were saying. It felt like the way, and suddenly, you know, when Judith Lucy thanked us for being for letting her be part of it, and we we're like, excuse me. <laughs> Like yeah. we were f- just quietly freaking out to ourselves.
0: That's, um. it's interesting the way you describe it is like, it was a little idea that you guys had over brunch. Yeah. That you, you probably, you probably had no idea how, how important that was to many, many more people than you. Yeah.
1: It's one of those, cl- and you know, I, I don't think it unto itself was that important. Like as in, you know, I don't feel like we changed, but the one thing that made us all, because also there was a, there was one tiny piece of backlash where another comic, um, a gay comedian, um, wrote this big post about how the how you know if it if it was it should have been an all gay or queer lineup and blah, blah blah and how there was too many straight people involved and blah blah. blah. There was a whole bunch of yeah. It was a whole thing that yeah. got sorted out, and um, good luck to them in their tiny room at Trades Hall next year. But
0: um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, don't take on the Melbourne Comedy Festival. And they, it's were they were mad. as well. It was nuts. That that's um. See, to me, that sort of stuff like you look, and being totally outside of like the, the gay community, obviously that um, that idea that it has to be all all from the gay or queer community.
1: Yeah. That that. It's not equality. Well, that's <laughs> it's the not thing. Like the
0: the point you're trying to make is about marriage equality, not yeah. about um, yeah you know, about anything else. And that's the to me that like the, the fact that that it shows too. Allowing like and like you said, and like when um, you said that Judith Lucy thanked you for allowing her to be part of it. Realistically, you allowed them to be part of something Exa- that's great that the they're fa- able to. The, to show that this isn't more than just the gay community yeah. that are interested in this. that this was the everyone. main
1: aim of it as well. It was like, it was queer people, which even I, I don't I don't so much love the word queer, but um, queer people and then like allies. Like it was just, look at it, we're all here. It's not just gay people that want this. Mm. And we even got so, and then we got a message. We got a few messages of like, thank you so much as a gay teenager, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then there was this one particular one that was like a guy came to the show, um, went home, went back to the hotel that he was staying at, called his parents and came out to them, like hadn't, wasn't oh, wow. out. And then, That's... and he said, I went home and kind of pl- was planning the rest of my week of traveling. And I just decided to just call my family and tell them I was gay. Cause it just, I just felt like it was safe to do it and blah, blah. And so it was just this really like, Like this dumb idea that we thought of in a gross restaurant in Edinburgh suddenly. And look, we had very... I personally had very little to do with like, you know, the putting together of it. But Zoe was the brain child of it. Like she kind of was... No, not the brain. She was the brain of it. Like she... Yeah. She's so incredible and so smart and so funny and knows how nuance works. You were more the
0: muse to her. Yeah.
1: Or I was the one like... I, I was the one that'd say, oh, it'd be funny if you vomited in this bit. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, And that's the way. But you you were you were the muse for the whole idea. Yeah. That's yeah, a, And that's it. That, it just felt good. And I went, home, and I, I tell you what, it's the happiest ever because we both got nominated for the Barry the day, the week before. And so they used that as well to And just being able to be a Barry nominee, and, and this sounds very wanky. It's the only, like, self promotion i've ever been happy about is and then being able to be part of this dumb idea that turned out to into a big thing was like oh i'm actually like doing something yeah it's like really satisfying i'm not just doing dick jokes i'm part of something there's something nice to being part of things that are that are bigger than you yeah exactly that's
0: i think um, it was nice to be a cog yeah and that and that's um that the, the, there's something incredibly satisfying when you realise like something you've been doing is part of a much bigger thing, and yeah, and you feel like yeah, you do feel like you're part of something. And that I I remember seeing I I wasn't down in Melbourne, but I remember seeing the post and everything, and it, overwhelmingly positive. And like you said, it was in the major publications, like you got really
1: yeah interesting, good coverage, and that was all. And that was like kudos to the Melbourne Comedy Festival as well for just getting behind it as well. They. Like, they didn't have... We were worried because they're a state... Because they're a government thing. We mm. thought, should they really be like getting nah. behind it? And they just kind of went, nah, fuck it. We'll just do it. Yeah. it's it's, it's,
0: it's There's nothing wrong with government agencies aiding go, um, political... Yeah. Uh, or making, you know, social statements. That's, yeah. That's kind of what it's always... It's one of the reasons arts, the government is, is, is in good, arts. Yeah. Is to to be able to say that this, these are these people making a statement. You know, the government's not endorsing or it's yeah, it's allowing exactly. it's, it's facilitating open conversation with its citizens.
1: Yeah, and it just felt, yeah it just felt good to be. That's so awesome. good on them for backing us.
0: So now let's go on to now you are engaged, engaged to a man, to the man you actually want to be married to. Yeah, Karen, Karen Wheatley,
1: Kyron, a very very good guy. Yeah, um, someone he's the situation where um, people whenever I visit comedians they go oh when's Carnegie? <laughs> like ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, people he's, like him a lot he is a, yeah he is a great guy he's um, the nicest
0: guy the uh, best guy and uh i know we're getting close to time when no, you have got to run for fun. your train but um fun. quick you guys have got a podcast yes it's run called, me through it's called
1: save the date uh, another situation where i am uh very little to do with it but like <laughs> a major like Karen, he's really good at the same thing, like these kind of ideas. And we were, again, at dinner and we were engaged and we can't get married. Um, And so he had this idea of a podcast called Save the Date where we – it's just – it's an interview-based podcast. And we also have Elaine Sainty who um, works in news and she kind of gives us – she specializes in kind of queer news and gives us updates, so she's in Canberra. Weird news. Yeah, or like, she works for BuzzFeed. I feel so like she's I'm missing out now. Like, political kind of, yeah, like, yeah. she understands the nuances of Parliament that I do not at yeah. all. And so we're able to call her, and she explains it to us, like, we're six years old. Um
0: Which is good for an audience who probably aren't. Sometimes, I think, like, like, if you watch the, the proper political reporting, that's yeah. spoken in a language sometimes that needs... Yeah, that needs that translation and that's probably a great filter. And I kind podcast. of play
1: the, like, not play, but I'm the one going, well, what does that, when you say it's blocked in the Senate, what does that mean? Because I genuinely don't.
0: You're um, you're speaking on behalf of the audience.
1: Yeah. And that's what we wanted. We wanted to like a kind of, because there's a lot of these types of podcasts out there of those types, but they're all, they're kind of hard to just, we wanted to make oh, one yes. that you can just hop into and kind of the first 10 minutes is, you know, it's and it's week by week, but it's also us talking about, our relationship as well, and how it, it's kind of putting. I think we wanted to put two faces to just the idea of we are engaged in this country and we can't. And so we kind of talk about how we feel about it. And then we talked to, you know, we spoke to Eric Jensen, who um, is the editor of the Saturday paper. Yep. And he just kind of took us through the media's handling of it. And then we spoke to Jeffrey Winters, who's a young gay liberal. And so, which was very strange having a liberal in our home, but, um, <laughs> but just, he took it from the other sport where, who he is a young gay liberal who is pro gay marriage, but living in this, but also liberal mind, like is, yes. was, so his is running as a liberal isn't, isn't uh, necessarily one issue. Yeah, exactly. And so he's able to, he was able to explain it to us in a very concise and clever. Yeah. So it's just, it's called save the day. And at the end of every episode, we try and, um. Uh, Save the like work out who, when, when could we get married? Do you think? And as the, in the last few months, as we've started doing it, it's kind of changed where people were like, Oh, maybe, you know, April 2017 and to now, after all the plebiscite stuff is done and they're not going to do anything, it's kind of, it feels a bit like love- we're even kind of talking now about how we're going to morph the podcast because it's it's not going to ha- probably happen for another four to five years.
0: What what are your thoughts on that? The plebiscite
1: being, I was, oh, you know, I was anti Plebiscite, um, only just because it was so much, mu- fifteen million dollars, just for chucked it either side of it. And to me, it just you know who's one of the things that I asked in the podcast was like who's looking after what they can spend that money on. Say you know because the the for the plebiscite could put on the side of a bus, um, you know, gays are gonna steal your children or like you know not that, mm. but you know what I mean like. What is, what is hate speech and what is facts and what, yeah. you know, how are we funding it? And, and also just, it was just an expensive dumb thing when they can just pass it. We know through polling, you know, although if we've learned anything in the last couple of weeks, the polling doesn't <laughs> yeah. always tell you the right thing, but you know, it's, I forget what the statistic is at the moment, but it's, you know, it's, it's 60 something percent, what gay marriage. Um, and then the other ones probably doesn't even affect them, but
0: I can't, Believe anyone can get passionate against it. Like, oh, I, crazy. I, for me, the position should go from doesn't affect me to passionately for it. Yeah, like because really, like, and that's my thing. Like, I'm a big fan of marriage. I'm, I'm yeah. married, happily married. I don't understand like the, the the one argument that gets me is the um the. That, that drives me nuts as, oh, you know, it devalues marriage or, you know, what is it, how, how, like, you know, if, if anyone can get married to anyone else and, you know, how does that affect my marriage? It, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't affect it. your marriage. Your marriage is entirely personal. It's between you and the person
1: you married to. Just fucking like, let people live. When there were those couples that were like, wasn't there a couple in Canberra that were like, um, well, if gay marriage is passed then we're getting a divorce, I'm like, cool. Enjoy yeah. enjoy that. they they
0: found a nifty loophole. <laughs>
1: yeah. What are you... Like, are you just in an unhappy they, wedding and married? I don't want to marry. married. Yeah. It's that's just, all I can think. It's just... A, it's a very odd... Um, you know, it doesn't... I'm not one of those out on the streets marching kind of... But I, I'm engaged and I want to get married. And it just... It does infuriate me. Um, I know that there are other issues. There are bigger issues in the country. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that so was the other thing. When Zoe and I got married, we made a point of... So it was... We didn't want to seem... We we kind of did it like it was about gay marriage, but we dedicated it to like you know the charities that we had involved. First of all, were minus eighteen, who are like this youth queer network that does incredible work for mental illness. Yep. But then we also made a list of all the other charities that we were giving to that were like um, kidney donation and asylum seekers, and because we were anyone who was waiting in a line, that was our kind of idea. Anybody waiting for something, and so yeah, like organs and stuff like that. So I just feel like. Gay marriage is one of the ones that can come off quite um. Whingy. Yeah, it should be ticked off pretty easily, though. Like yeah. It's, it's,
0: it's an easy... Like, okay. Because you go, oh, okay, it's not the biggest issue we're facing. Yeah. It isn't the biggest issue that the country's facing. But it's one of the simplest.
1: Yeah. And let's, it's also... Let's just
0: tick it off, move on.
1: The thing about the plebiscite would have been as well... Um, you know, I was lucky enough to grow up in a very supportive family that... Um, you know, when I was 10, I remember my mum quite distinctly telling me like, if you were gay, then it'd be fine. Um, so I was very lucky.
0: Until then, he was rampantly heterosexual too.
1: Loved a bit of footy. <laughs> um, I blame my parents. Um, but, uh, if a plebiscite meant that they were giving seven and a half million dollars to be able to legally put on posters that, um, if like, say you're a gay teen or a gay kid. And you see on the news someone saying, "You, what you are starting to realize that you are, you should not be allowed to get married, and you are a different part to this society." And it's just, da- it was dangerous.
0: Yeah, uh, to be honest, um, my my main objection with the plebiscite, and this this is going to sound a little callous. Yeah, is I my main objection was not around the, the you got to protect the, the feelings and the yeah the, because I, part of me thinks like as a in an open society that we can't make political decisions based on people's feelings. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's part totally. of it. And, and I totally understand the damage um, that it would do. And I'm glad it's not. Because yeah. my view to that, my counterpoint to that was, well, all the, the people, like like the right thinking people, we should put our effort into making sure that message gets turned out. Because my my... Philosophical approach to those sort of things is, and I think this is is a much more general approach I have to all these sort of bad ideas, racism, homophobia, all that sort yeah. of stuff. Is their ideas, they're bad ideas. Yeah, but you don't beat bad ideas by suppressing bad ideas. You beat bad ideas yeah. by better ideas. Totally, and they're so, and it becomes self evident how bad they are. Like, um, and you know, I, this is easy for me. Um, to say, obviously not having not grown up in you know with those uh, as a as a gay man, but um, so then I think part of me is like, okay, let's get this in the open and let's have the real dialogue, yeah, and say, and it becomes so evident so quickly that it's not, you know, that that, that all that stuff is just bullshit. That like we can, you know, gay marriage isn't going to affect anyone exactly, other yeah, than yeah, people
1: who are gay who are but gay married. married, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. That's, it's just such a silly, I kind of had a, on the latest episode of a podcast, I kind of had a bit of a, not a meltdown, but because it's just, it's not something that I think about on a daily basis. Like I'm very lucky. I'm, I live in, um, you know, I, I, I live in Sydney in a major city. I'm a white male. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm okay. I'm fine. Um, and so it's not this, I don't feel constantly put upon. But then I, the other day I just, yeah, I just had this kind of meltdown on the show of just like, why are we still talking about it? Like I'm purposely, like just do it and let's just fucking move on.
0: That's one of the things that gets me too is that who's living in a world where we think that gay people do not exist and do not exist in the exact same way that heterosexual people think that do not have relationships where they want to get married. Yeah. They want to look and like like you were talking about Zoe. Zoe does. They don't necessarily want to get married. Well, but. I'm sure they want to be able to make that choice for themselves. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not a well. It does, luckily, like oh, lucky for us, we don't want to get married anyway. Yeah, that's bullshit. They you you need to be able to make that choice for yourself. Um, I I, would, I did the whole thing that whole drives me nuts, and the, the idea of the plebiscite is aside from you know the, like you said the the risks around the campaign, we elect our politicians. That the whole point of our democracy the way we our democracy is we appoint them to make decisions yeah. for us
1: they're, You sort it out
0: they're enabled like they' they're constitutionally enabled to make that decision just do it just do it and have the vote and if it doesn't pass it doesn't pass we'll come back and do it another time yeah we, we that's where that's where the grass the grassroots work gets out and we you know you you start the campaign and you start to lobby but yeah there's no point lobbying your MP if they're not allowed to actually have the vote exactly that's the problem. Just fucking do it, you idiots. Anyway, I feel like um, I feel like I've <laughs> I've got on a soapbox a little too much, and I do need to let you go so you can get to your train. Yep, mate. Thank you so much for That's coming all right. out. Um, Let's do it again. Yeah, I, mate. Happy I've got to. heaps more questions for you. So um, please, before we go, plug anything you want to. Uh, plug.
1: Um... Uh, I'm doing all the festivals next year, but none of them are on sale yet. But um, reese is the place to go. Um, Have
0: you got a show title yet?
1: Yeah, it's called I'm Fine.
0: I'm Fine. I'm Fine. Excellent. Keep an eye out for that at all the major festivals across the country. reesnicholson.com, Thank you so much for coming in and uh, give uh, save the date to listen to. Have a listen. If Have you want to hear uh, some really spoiler
1: uh, alert? We don't get married yet. <laughs> oh well yeah. This uh, is a podcast. This exists forever. Oh yeah. Oh then we might or be happily maybe. married. I might be happily married in my late fifties now when you listen to this. Let's hope so. Yeah. All right.
0: Thanks very much. Thanks,
1: Andy. Bye. Bye.